0: Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. But... We know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay.
1: Welcome back to From the Ashes. I'm your host, Mark Azulay, and I'm sitting here with Christine, the author of About Natalie, where you talk about your daughter's addiction uh, with opiates and your experience going through that. Both, you know, as a mother, as a support structure. I, I got to know this story. I got to know this story because I think it's a great fit for the podcast of you know getting knocked down and getting back up stronger. So, can you tell the readers a little bit about who you are and, and, and what you bring?
2: Uh, my name is Christine Naiman. I am the author of About Natalie, a daughter's addiction, a mother's love, finding their way back to each other. And uh, the story is about, um, I guess it's about Natalie, but it's just as much about me. Um, but it is uh, a mother's journey, uh, trying to, um, well, trying to help her daughter with the struggle of addiction. Um, I guess, you know, as moms, uh, as kids suffer, moms suffer too. So um, we struggled together.
1: Yeah. Can you say a little bit about what uh, Natalie was like as a little girl to paint the picture kind of before Uh, this all happened?
2: Sure. With pleasure. I mean, Natalie, um, well, you you know, I mean, I know I'm biased, but Natalie uh, was a fantastic little girl. She was full of life she was inquisitive she was um so bright and so um she was such a challenge but she was full of energy she was um she was full of life and um a little bit of a daredevil and um she was actually she she was fun she was a fun little girl
1: yeah so when did things start to change a little bit when did you notice that she was suffering and struggling
2: Well, I, you know, I I look back on that and I've been asked that question so many times. I I think about that and, you know, it's hard to answer, but I know that um, she always struggled a little bit socially, Um, you know, early elementary school, later elementary school, uh, you know, a little bit middle school, but I always thought that she was you know, holding up pretty well under it. And I, I thought a lot of it was just, you know, the the kid world and stuff like that. I think that she did have some, um, you know, she had, had a little bit of mental health challenges, you know, going through those younger years. But um, to say that she was struggling, I think it was probably early, um, like it was 12, 13 Um, You know, she started to withdraw a little bit. She started to, um, uh, the friends changed a little bit and um, maybe a little bit secretive, uh, you know, those sorts of things, Um, kind of dumbly. I uh, chalked that all up to um, independence and just growing up and growing away a little bit. Um, I think looking back now, I think I was wrong
1: yeah what do you think it actually was?
2: Well, I think she was starting to dabble very young um, in things that she shouldn't have been experimenting with and you know I actually I always say very young, and then I kind of have to correct myself because you know they, I guess i've I've read and researched enough that um, people who suffer from addiction often experiment you know 12, 13, 14. and you know, as a mom, you're not thinking. Um, along those lines, always at those ages. But um, she probably was, unfortunately, right on target with experimenting with, um, first, um, with pills. She was, um, without me knowing it, she was taking pills from her uh, grandfather's, um, grandparents' medicine cabinet. My, My father, her grandfather had passed away. So there were pills there, and they were unattended. And, um, definitely a lesson to be learned there, but they were, um, they were there, they were unattended and she was taking them a little at a time.
1: Yeah. And it sounds like that was, that was a secret from you, right? Like you had no idea knowing that that was happening.
2: Oh gosh. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, embarrassed to say I had no idea. I had no idea at all. And, um, she was, uh, you know, I mean, she's 12 or 13, you don't follow them into the bathroom and you don't think about it. And I didn't know the pills were there in the first place. So, you know, who knew to watch them? But again, another lesson learned clean out the medicine cabinet and, you know, um, take care of those things. But um, no, I didn't know. I, I didn't know. And, um, you know, I look back on it now. I think she was um, self medicating from such a very early age. Mm-hmm. Trying to feel different than she was, she was feeling.
1: Yeah, you were saying she was having difficulty in schools. Can you elaborate on that? Like, was it bullying or trouble fitting in? Or
2: yeah, it was definitely it was bullying. It was trouble fitting in. Um, She was always very, very strong academically, so she kind of had that all figured out. But um, you know, she was an amazing little girl. She was bright. She was quirky, and you know, um, she you know put you know, her heart and everything, she put her heart out there and she put everything she had into everything she was doing. And I think she just was met with, um, you know, some rejection from peers and those sorts of things. And, um, I, I, I think that it, you know, she kept a lot of it inside. She hid a lot of it. And, um, what I saw on the outside, um, I don't think definitely matched what level she was feeling on the inside. Mm
1: -hmm. Right. So she was shutting down and kind of suppressing things. It sounds like, and using the pills to bury it.
2: Right. Definitely. She wanted to, um, she told me, you know, years later, she said, I wanted, you know, to forget. I wanted to not feel bad. I wanted Mm -hmm. to not feel bad about myself. I mean, I think kids at that age, especially, I mean, I always said to her, you know, why, why wouldn't you tell me? Why, you know, why wouldn't you just say, you know, this is happening and, you know, I feel so, so bad about it. And, um, her answer really, um, really touched me. She said, well, I, you know, a lot of, I know a lot of times at ages like that, when somebody treats them bad, they feel like somehow they're being treated the way they deserve to be treated. They feel like, you know, if they, you know, say I'm stupid or ugly or whatever monstrous things they say, I, you know, maybe they wouldn't say that if I wasn't, if it wasn't somehow a little bit true. So I think that was part, um, I think that she felt somehow, you know, um, ashamed for being bullied. And um, she also said, which really, you know, brought me to tears. She said, well, I didn't want to make you feel bad. So in a way she was protecting, she was trying to protect me from all of it too.
1: Right. She didn't want you to feel the same way that she was feeling. And, and what you just said there, I see it in my practice all the time. It's, it's so sad because kids are very impressionable, you know, and, and we get these messages and they can't think critically. Their brain isn't developed to that point yet. So, yeah, when someone says you're ugly or you're overweight or you're, you know, nobody likes you or whatever it is, it, it gets in there of like, whoa, you know, they're not going to be lying to me. Right. Because kids don't have that concept yet.
2: Right, they, don't, right. they don't
1: know about that or they don't understand the greater dynamic. They're very much in their own world.
2: Yeah. I don't think it ever thought on her thought. Um, it, I don't think the thought ever occurred to her that they would be saying something that was completely, totally untrue.
0: Mm-hmm. I right. think
2: she thought, you know, well, I, I must be this or that, or, you know, whatever horrible things they were saying. And, um, you know, she almost wanted to, I think maybe reliving it may, may have been, um, even though I think if she would have, you know, told me and relived it, you know, I could have eased her burden a little bit, but I think she maybe felt that that was only going to make it worse.
1: Right. Yeah. That, that you would share, she'd share some of that pain. Yeah. I mean, I was in front of us, but I was bullied as a kid and I had this belief, right. That there was one, something wrong with me, probably similar to what your daughter felt, but two, it was even more crazy making was that everybody could see it. And nobody would tell me what it was because I would do the same thing. I would go to my parents and go to adults and be like, what's wrong with me? What's, you know, what's, what's happening? Why is this happening to me? And they would say, there's nothing wrong with you. You know, you're a wonderful kid. You're bright, you're funny, whatever. Right. Like just shower me with compliments, right. but I didn't believe that. Right. I thought that they were lying because I, I couldn't understand those two worlds side <laughs> by side. Oh yeah, for sure.
2: And I, I think she probably thought that I, I couldn't understand mm-hmm. you know? and um, you know, maybe she wouldn't have believed me, but I sure um, wish I would have had the opportunity to uh, to tell her um, that um, they were wrong. And, you know, she wasn't, but um, I, I, I um, don't think I intercepted those sorts of things as quickly as I could have.
1: Right. Well, it's going to be so hard as a parent, you have to juggle 10,000 different things. It's hard to know. It's hard to cover all the bases. Right
2: right it is it it really is i mean you're you're um you know you send them off to school and you're just thinking you know the homework's done and they're doing well and the report card comes and you know all of that's all fine and um you know you you know you're so busy running off to uh dance class and basketball and gymnastics and piano lessons you think you're checking all the boxes, but, you know, at least I thought I was checking all the boxes. I mean, you're, you know, it's October, get in the car, we're going to the pumpkin farm. It's December 1st, get on Santa Claus's lap. It's mm-hmm. you know, the whole thing. And um, I think that, you know, I was, um, you know, I, I tried, uh, but I think that, you know, maybe I should have been a little bit more um, perceptive.
1: Yeah. Know, trying to like, understand more of like what's going on underneath, underneath the hood, right. In her emotional world. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So bringing back to the story, right? So she starts self-medicating, she's taking, you know, her grandfather's pills. What happens after that?
2: Well, I think, you know, she um, very quietly um, on her own experimented with pills and, um, you know, maybe marijuana and a little bit of alcohol. And um, it's a big jump, a big leap. But at age 15, she was caught at uh, high school with heroin. Uh so, um, that was, um, I guess maybe the, you know, honestly, the first big wake-up call for, um, for me, um, you know, even though I did, you know, I'll never forget, it was a day, um, I was, I just happened to be at a a coffee shop about a, you know, a mile away, and, um, the school called, and they said, you know, uh, you need to come, you know, Natalie's in trouble, and, You know, I had, you know, I was caught completely blindsided because I had never been summoned to the school for anything, let alone anything, you know, I was too busy bringing cupcakes. I never thought that, you know, I, there was, you know, I was going to be called for anything like that. And I remember the secretary said significant trouble and, you know, I was questioning her, you know, panicking and questioning her and saying, you know, what, what could, you know, what? You know what could it be? And she said substances. And it took me even a minute to to realize what substances meant. Yeah. You know, I was like, what in the world? You know, and I called my husband at work, and I said we need to get there. And we we got there, and uh, there was she was surrounded by um, administrators and three police officers with heroin sitting on the desk in front of us.
1: Wow, that must have been such a yeah, just mind blowing moment, right? Just like earth shattering of everything you must have thought your whole concept of reality and your daughter must've changed in that moment.
2: Oh, it did. It did. I mean, you never believe that you're so um, you could be so in the dark. You could be so unaware in regards to something that was so, so horrific. I mean, the worst, pretty much the worst thing she could be doing. She Mm -hmm. was doing and, you know, had been doing for a while. And I found out that moment kind of with everybody else.
1: Yeah. So she's 15. Would she, Would she shooting up? Was she smoking it? How was she using the heroin?
2: She was shooting up. Yeah. Yeah. She was shooting up. And um, yeah, I mean, she, um, you know, I, you know, instantly um, went into mom denial, but um, which didn't help. But I mean, that's where I, um, you know, that's where I landed anyway. And uh, you know, I, you know, I, she said, you know, of course, you know, it wasn't her, she was holding for someone, it was the first time, you know, all those mm-hmm. things. But, you know, I was definitely, um, you know, I was, I was willing to understand, I was willing to accept all those excuses because, you know, Lord knows it's what I wanted. I wanted to hear and I wanted to believe, but, right. um, uh, you know, it wasn't, obviously it wasn't the case.
1: Yeah. It's a lot better than the alternative, right?
2: Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
1: I don't know if you know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask anyway. Do you know where she got it from? Like, how does a 15-year-old get access to heroin?
2: Um, Well, it kind of gets worse. Um, Again, uh, she met someone online. She met a boy online. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, where was I when she was online kind of thing. Um, But uh, she met a boy online, and he brought it to her and taught her how to do it.
1: That's scary. I mean, it sounds like a parent's nightmare.
2: Oh, it was, it was, you know, you you just, you used to feel so violated. You know, you feel so violated. So um, the world, you know, your world is not a safe place anymore. You know, there are, you know, big bad strangers now right inside next to you. And um, you know, you're the, the fact that my daughter, knows a drug dealer my daughter Mm -hmm. knows someone who would bring her heroin it was just mind-blowing to me
1: that's that's wild how old was the guy
2: uh he was 17
1: 18 also still really young yeah in in my mind it's an older person which i don't know if that makes it better or worse but
2: yeah just to,
1: to give heroin to a 15 year old girl it's just i can't imagine what kind of person that would be
2: right exactly exactly
1: yeah um Well, this story is powerful and we're going to keep it rolling. We're going to move into our commercial break now, but when we get back, I want to hear about how that progressed um, her getting into treatment and, you know, specifically, yeah, your experience as a mother, because it sounds like at that, at this moment, everything changed. It sure did. Great. So we'll go into a commercial break for those tuning in. Hang on and we'll catch you on the other side.
0: common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark azulaycom .teachable.com That's Mark M-A-R-C dash Azoulay dot .teachable.com Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. To From the Ashes with Mark Anzulay. To reach the show today, please call 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark anzulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes.
1: Welcome back. We're sitting here talking about addiction and specifically a 15 year old using heroin and it's 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 hard it's hard to hear so you you told this story christine about coming into the administrator's office and seeing you know your daughter natalie the bag of heroin right cops administrators what did you do next like what do what do you do with a child that has that
2: you know, you don't, you know, you freeze. I mean, you don't, you don't know what to do. I mean, I, you know, we we did what we had to do with the school. They explained that she was um, uh, suspended. They would have a meeting in 10 days and figure out, you know, what, what the next steps were, what they were going to do with her. And, um, you know, before you know what you've got, they the police well it's heroin so it's you know it has to be addressed legally right very illegal you know so all of a sudden you have legal problems you've got a daughter who's suspended from school and you know i you know you're it's a good question that you ask because i'll never forget um when we were walking out of the building we were walking to the car i mean i i I just didn't know. I mean, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I felt like I was putting, I mean, she was my daughter and, but I felt, you know, my God, I don't know her. I, you know, I don't know anything anymore. Uh I'm not sure of anything, Um, you know, put her in the car and what do you do? I mean, you, you drive home and, you know, you don't, you don't know what to do. You don't know how to carry on. You don't know how to put one foot in front of the other and and do what, you know, what do you do? You make dinner because that's what you do. And you, um, and we did, I think what, you know, I think we're pretty um, regular, pretty normal. I mean, we, we did it all. I mean, and we did it all wrong and we did it some way. Right. I mean, we yelled and we screamed and we cried and we begged and we pleaded and we talked, you know, nice and we talked horribly and, um, demanded asked questions and demanded answers, and you know, um, that kind of thing. Um, I definitely, um, you know, I was willing to buy her excuses of you know, first time, only time, you know, holding it for somebody else, but then, um, you can only stay in denial for so long, and and then you know, you're watching and you're you know, you're hyper vigilant, and um you know, and then, you know, I always say your, your kids good or bad introduce you to people that you never would have met, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I know where the outpatient rehab is and I know counselors and I know, um, doctors and I know psychiatrists and psychologists and therapists and, you know, heck, I know the cops now. And, you know, it's just a horrible, horrible, horrible thing. Um, but, um, you just, I mean, she's, you know, was and always will be the best thing that ever happened to me. So you go into fight mode. You go into, uh, you know, we will, you know, we're going to, we stick by each other. We're a family. It's what we do. So you, um, you try to solve the problem.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's very courageous, right? To move towards that and to try to lean into that. And I'm sure there were some days where, like you said, you probably said something you would have regretted and things like that, but their help is huge, right? I can imagine some parents wanting to kick them out or shut them down or ground them forever or lock Uh everything down. Um, What was it like getting her into treatment?
2: Well, I mean, we got her into, you know, it was that was kind of an easy uh, part because it was court-mandated. Okay. So that was a good, that was, that was great because I, you know, it was one thing I didn't, you know, have to do. So, um, but you know, like I said, you're surrounded by people that you, um, you know, a world that you was very foreign to me. I mean, I really didn't know. I was so naive and I was so uneducated and I just didn't know anything about drugs. I didn't know anything about any sort of substances. I didn't know anything about alcohol. So it was a whole, uh, different world for me to know how to navigate. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard. I mean, you're, um, you're, you're trying, you're learning as you go. And that's very, 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 very difficult. And, you know, I'm learning about my daughter and I'm learning about all of these horrible things all at the same time, but, you know, we got her into, um, outpatient treatment. And, um, you know, she just, she went and she did what she needed to do and she performed, um, admirably. And she, you know, just, just said what she needed to say and did what she needed to do. And it was all for nothing because she just, she knew what to say. She knew what, what they wanted her to say. She knew what they wanted her to do. And um, she did it. She completed it. She, you know, got a, I don't know, a certificate or something that that satisfied the school and satisfied the police and, um, you know, satisfied me. And um, it was, you know, it was all for nothing because it it, it didn't mean anything because um, she just basically played along until, um, it was over and then they were over and everybody tied it up into a nice little bow and said, Oh, look, she's fixed problem solved.
1: Right. And that's so common, especially with young adults, right? They know how to, you know, how to play, they know how to follow the rules and they know how to say what they need to say.
2: Right. So, right.
1: so did she relapse after that? Did she go back to using?
2: Oh, she did. Yeah, she did. Yeah. I mean, I always, you know, the timeline is so, um, honestly, so disturbed in my head. I mean because it was it was you know two steps forward, one step back. It was um, false starts. It was times where I thought we were, you know um, on the right track or I find that she was just getting better at it because she was getting more secretive and you know and you know I always say, you know we you, know, you you watch the you know you try to watch the friends. And, you know, and, you know, and I always think that's like, so funny when people say, you know, got to watch those friends. Well, you know, I mean, they don't come with, you know, drug dealer, drug user tattooed on their head. Right. I mean, and, you know, no. I, I never forget. It was like, a, it was a, it was around the holidays and she brought a boy home. And um, I mean, he had a, a, you know, a sweater vest on and, you know, khakis and, I was like, oh my gosh, this is, yes, this, this, you know, good influence. Here we go. You know, you know, turning it around. She's making better choices. I mean, he looked like a little lawyer and it was perfect. And, you know, I mean, I think it was three days later, he was caught with like, you know, uh, piles and piles of heroin in his trunk. So, I mean, at that point, I wanted to just throw my hands up and say, I just can't tell the good guys from the bad guys. You know, I don't know. I I can't figure it. I can't figure any of this out. And I certainly can't figure out, you know, um, who's uh, who who are the good guys and who are the bad guys.
1: Yeah, for sure. Right. Because it's not that simple. You know, I mean, I work in the field of addiction and it can touch anyone and everybody. Right. But I, you know, from someone outside of it, I can understand how it'd be confusing because, you know, the media portrays drug addicts looking a particular way. Right. Drug deals looking a particular way. But substance use is different. So it sounds like that was a big wake up call to be like, whoa, even like the the preppy kid, you know, or the or the like, good kid has this like, too.
2: I mean, I'll never forget him. He came in, shook my hand, hello, Mrs. Naman, how are you? And I was like, Oh, I saw I, you know, I fell right into it. I, I sucked it all up and said, Oh, this is great. Um, and then obviously, you know, um, you know, he was another another supplier, but um I think about what you, you know, what you just said about, you know, uh, you know, you don't know who the good guys and bad guys are. You can't tell by looking at them because you said, you know, the, the media portrays the movies and all of that. Portray them as, you know, you know who the bad guy is. But, you know, I always tell um, other parents when they ask me, um, you know, don't be surprised if your child never looks like a drug addict to you. Mm-hmm. because, um, Natalie never did. I mean, I think that maybe, you know, um, she, it, it, though at her worst, she, she looked like a drug addict to, um, other people. Other people saw her more clearly, um, than I did, but, you know, she, you know, she always looked like my daughter. She always looked like my little girl. She always looked like, you know, she may look like Natalie, who's a little tired with bloodshot eyes. She may look like Natalie, who's, uh, a little sleepy with glassy eyes. She may look like she's having a bad day. She may look like she's gotten a little thin, but you know, she just never looked, you know, like, um, she never looked like the movies, I guess. She just always looked like my daughter. So, um, you know, I mean, I guess you only see what you want to see sometimes. And I was definitely guilty of that, but, um, you know, I, you, you just, it's, it's hard to know sometimes.
1: For sure. Right. I mean, cause you have that mother's love and you want to see her in the best possible light. And I think it's hard, I think it's hard to see what's happening from inside of the system. Right. Right. From inside of the family unit, it's really difficult.
2: Mm-hmm. There's
1: so much history there.
2: Right. Right. You know, it's always, uh, when well, we would go to, um, you know, a few of the meetings and, um, you know, the therapist would ask a very, um, like poignant, but like, invasive question and it was like you know wow like how did he know that like no, why would he ask that
1: we're and really I'm like, good at that you know, yeah
2: you know <laughs> and I am like you know what is you know is this guy at my house bugged because you know they're saying things like um our spoons missing and I'm like how would he know our spoons were missing and then you know he explains what spoons are used for and this and that and you know and I'm thinking yeah, I'm setting the table and, you know, we're out of spoons and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you know, who would have thought that would be a sign of anything other than, you know, I mean, you know, telling me that they're eating cereal and ice cream in their rooms and they're under the bed or something, but where are my spoons? Those are, my, you know, and so those sorts of things, um, you know, is, are, are these things missing? Are you stumbling upon these kinds of things? Mm-hmm. That stuff, you know, um, it's good to have that all pointed out to you when you're unaware.
1: Yeah, for sure. Right. And, you know, us in the addictions field, it's like we see this story, unfortunately, so many times that we can start to pick out the patterns of it. Mm-hmm. But like you said, for you, it sounds like it's really your first encounter with addiction. So it's all new, all out of nowhere.
2: Right. And, you know, and they're always um, out of desperation. I mean, Natalie uses that term all the time when she talks about, you know, um, some of the things that she did, you know, and that she regrets, but some of the things that were, you know, clearly very wrong, um, things to do. I mean, you know, stealing money from me, stealing jewelry from me, um, you know, just lying and, you know, all of it. Um, but she always says, you know, when you're that desperate, when you're that desperate to, um basically stay alive you'll do anything Mm -hmm. and um you know there's a whole list of things I think that you think that your child will never do or never do to you so you don't see them coming and until you're you know you look back and it's it's heartbreaking and it's heartbreaking it was you know for Natalie it was heartbreaking for both of us because you know how many times do we sit and cry and you know, she's saying, you know, you know, I'm crying because, you know, she felt so desperate and did it. And she's crying because she felt so desperate to do it. So it was, um, but uh, we were very much, you find out you're typical, you feel you're so unique, but um, we were very typical in a lot of things that we um, were going through.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, the, the dope sickness is, is crazy. I mean, that's one of the I mean, there's a lot of bad things about heroin, but that's certainly one of the bad ones is that it makes people do crazy things, right? And do anything right. to get high, right? The whole right. life just becomes, okay, when's the next fix? And it doesn't matter what they're going to do in order to get there. So, yeah, stealing, oh, yeah. I mean, everything, right?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, Natalie always says, you know, I was, you know, I was trying to survive. I was trying to live. Yeah. And, um, you know, and she says just, you know, waking up every day. Planning how I'm going to get it, how I'm going to yeah. get it, who I'm going to get it from, how it means it was a full-time job. Who I'm going to get it from, how I'm going to pay for it, and um, you know, and then you only solve the problem for that very brief period of time until you have to go back around, and I have to find out somebody to get it from again, and um, how do I pay for it? How do I get there? How do I, you know, it just every day is the same, the same journey, the same nightmare over and over again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a really great way of putting it. And it sounds like she had a pretty significant physical addiction to it as well. Dependency. Right. Right. Yeah. Where that can be her whole thought process, her whole life.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was the only thing she could, um, only thing she could think of.
1: Yeah. Well, we're going to start moving to our next commercial break here. And when we come back, I want to hear more about her recovery, you know, about how she, you know, got better. I heard she's clean now. Um, And what your relationship is like with her now and and what that last part of that arc was. Okay, great. So if you're listening and you find this to be helpful, if you, I mean, God forbid you are, but if you are going through something similar, um, sharing it with friends, passing it around, uh, checking out the book uh, about Natalie can be really helpful just to kind of get more of these stories told um, and get some more light on these situations. So thanks so much for tuning in so far, and we will see you on the other side of the commercial break.
0: This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark a-z-o-u-l-a-y.teachable.com. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call one 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes.
1: Welcome back. I'm your host, Mark Azulay, and I'm sitting here with Christine Naiman and the author of About Natalie, and we're talking about your daughter's drug addiction and. In that previous segment, I think we got maybe not the exact bottom, but close to the bottom of the trough. And I want to, as we're wrapping up this podcast, hear about the recovery, right? hear about how it did stick and and what your process was and what her process was. Can you share with our listeners a little bit about that?
2: Uh, Yeah, the process um, I could best describe as um, very, very, very messy. It was a a very messy process. It was far from a straight line. There was not um, people ask me and I would love to tell them it was just this wonderful moment in time where, you know, I cried, she cried. And there we were. We were done with drugs. And, you know, I said, please. And she said, okay, And there we were. But of course,
1: that's just the movies. Yeah, that's not how it it actually works.
2: It was not like that at all. And um, we did we did it all. We did um, outpatient rehabs several times. We did inpatient rehabs several times. Uh, We did medical doctors. We did psychiatrists. We did psychologists. We did therapists. We did um, all sorts of programs. and in the middle of all of it, we um, had a couple overdoses. We um, ended up in the ER We um, with abscesses and, um, you know, all of that sort of thing. But I like to think that um, Natalie got a little something from all of the help that she got. I mean, I have to say uh, this, and I always try to weave this into every... Um, talk or interview I do, I, I am so grateful and feel so blessed that I, you know, we haven't met anybody through this long, uh, 10 year journey that hasn't had their heart in the right place, who hasn't been there because they were really trying to, to help me help my daughter, trying to help um, people who were struggling from addiction. And I think in their own way, they all helped. I think they. um, she took something from all of them, even though it didn't seem so at the time. I always um, would say to my kids when um, they were little, I'll say it now, you can hear it later, but I'm going to say it. And I think that when Natalie finally got to a point where um you know they always talk about rock bottom rock bottom well you know i mean my rock i hit my rock bottom like you know when we were walking out of the principal's office.
1: (laughs) day one day
2: one i'm like okay i'm done i give up um but you know i um bet natalie's rock bottom my rock bottom i it took me a while to realize um that my rock bottom didn't count because um, i was i was one To be known to be screaming in the middle of the house, nobody lives like this, that's it, we're done with all of this, but didn't realize that that really wasn't worth anything at all. It had to be when Natalie said, I can't live this way any longer. Uh And I'll never forget, you know, we were in the backyard and we were at a very low point. And I said, honey, you know, I was trying to be motivating. And I said, you know, you've got to think about goals, you've got to think about your future, you've got to think about your life and the things that you want, and you're not gonna have a future if you continue to do what you're doing. I said, what do you dream of? What have you always dreamt of? What have you always thought about? And she said, I'll never forget it. She said to me, mom, I I never dreamed. I never thought I've been doing this so long she said, I never thought I'd live this long.
1: Yeah.
2: So I, 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 you know, I'm surprised I'm here. I don't know what to do with today because I was never supposed to be this old, you know? And so, um, but she, um, she did, um, I, you know, I think it was kind of, you know, a moment in time and she said, you know, I'm, I'm going to beat this. And, um, she, uh, like I said, she took a little bit from everything and, um, she got on the right, I guess the right track sounds a little cliche, but she, she decided that she was going to live differently. Um, she is a work in progress like we all are, but, um, she, um, she has been clean for more than two years and, um, she's rebuilding her life, baby steps, baby steps at a time, you know, I mean, can I say that she's, you know, um, you know, uh, just, she's caught up completely. No, she hasn't caught up completely because when you start as young as Natalie did, um, there's a lot of delays. There's a lot of delays in, um, learning and progressing and and knowing how to navigate the world. But, um, you know, a little at a time she's, she's going out there and she's, um, one moment at a time she's, she's doing the right things.
1: That's really inspiring.
2: Yeah. She's, um, I mean, she's my hero because I, I can only imagine what the strength that she has inside to, um, to, to, to do what she's doing. Um, because I know it's a, it's a, it's a battle every day. It's a struggle every day, but, um, you know, to see her so, um, determined and, um, and actually doing it and, um you know, there's so many things that you have to rebuild. You have to rebuild, you know, all of your, you know, the trust and the relationships within the family. And then you have to, you know, jump back on and try to get back in school and hold jobs. And um, there's a lot of, a lot of rebuilding to do, but she's, she's doing it a little at a time.
1: Yeah. And, and where are you with it? With your trust with her or your own emotional journey through this?
2: Well, um, again, I always, um, you know, I never thought, um, I encourage people, I encourage moms and dads and loved ones. Um, people told me a lot, you know, Christine, you should, you should get a little bit of help. You should get a little support. And I was like, Oh gosh, that's just, that's ridiculous. But I'm, you know, I what help would I need? I don't, I don't need any help. I'm just fine. And as soon as I fixed my daughter, you know, we'll go on and do that and we'll be happy again and it'll all be perfect. Um, until then I probably hit my own little rock bottom. And then I said, you know what, I, um, I'm starting to, to be, you know, uh, I'm suffering a lot too. And I'm starting to be not quite so, you know, well myself. And then I reached out for help. And, um, so, um, and of course it's, you know, the help helped and, um, even though I was sure it wouldn't. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm kind of a work in progress too. Um, as far as trust goes, um, you know, w- w- every day, uh, you know, a little a little bit better. A, you know, a little bit better. But, you know, I kind of, um, I'm, I'm a little hypervigilant and not for the reasons that you um, think I would be. Not because I don't want my jewelry disappearing again and not because I don't want my debit card disappearing again, but because I want to be on it a little bit faster, God forbid, there's a God forbid, I want to be there for her to help catch her before she completely falls interceptor. I want to be the support that I want to be her biggest cheerleader. And I want to be her biggest support. um, If she falters or she needs me. So, um, you know, we're a team, though, we are, um, we're, we're a team.
1: Yeah, I do want to catch it early? I think that's really admirable, for sure. So, I'm curious, what inspired you to write the book and right? to take the story and to go public with it?
2: Well, um, what inspired me to write the book was the pain, the pain that I felt. Um, you know, I, you know, found out my daughter was an addict, and instantly, I felt embarrassed. I felt ashamed. I felt isolated. I felt so desperately broken and alone. And I knew that I wasn't the only one feeling this way, but uh, darn if I didn't feel that. And I thought, you know, if I, maybe if I put myself out there, I will I can be an embrace, I can be a part of the help, I can be part of the solution for, for other parents. I wanted to um, tell them, you know, you're not alone. And, um, you know, which is not unfortunate, but, you know, it's it's an epidemic. How could I be the only one? You know, I'm not, obviously, you know, logically I'm not the only one. And, you know, you feel how, you hear how um, people, and another reason I wrote the book is, you know, you hear how people talk about addicts. You hear how people talk about addicts' families. You know, um, the addicts, you know, they're, you know, they're portrayed monsters and their family. Well, there's something wrong there. They all did something wrong that, you know, we all did right. The stigma is so severe sometimes. And I thought, well, maybe if people got to know us, if they got to know me, if they got to know my daughter, my amazing daughter, if they got to know To see that, you know, we're just regular people who, um, you know, fell into a very unfortunate disease, maybe I could beat down some of that stigma. So the reason I wrote the book was to to beat down that stigma and then part of um, to reach out and provide some hope and some comfort to um, other people going through the same journey.
1: Yeah. I'm curious, has that happened? Has, have readers reached out to you or have you met people at, you know, book events or conferences or anything?
2: Oh, I have been so um, blessed is, is the best word for it. I've been so blessed. Um, people have reached out and that have read the book and they will say, you know, this is us and this is us too. And um, even though I feel bad and, you know, first thing I say is I'm sorry you know, I'm sorry that that you're finding yourself in there, but, um, they're, they're finding comfort in the book and that makes it all, um, makes it all worthwhile for me to have put myself out there and to have, um, put my shame and my embarrassment aside to, um, maybe, maybe help somebody else. Um, and, you know, it, I am determined to be a part of the solution. Natalie and I are determined to be a part of the, you know, the solution and part of the help. Um, so a big part of the proceeds from the book are going back into, um, you know, Allegheny Health Network, Highmark, um, uh, resources for addiction and mental health issues because, um, you know, we're just too blessed not to give back and that's our way of, um, that's our way of trying, trying to do it. I mean, if we can, you know, um, God willing, we'll be able to help in a big way, but we'll help any way we can.
1: Yeah. So the book has a humanitarian mission too.
2: For sure. Yeah. For sure.
1: As we're moving towards the end here, maybe you have this, maybe you don't. Is there like a, a statement that you wish you had heard early on in this journey? If there's somebody listening that is relating to what you're saying, what do you wish you had heard
2: um, they do recover. I think that's the statement because you don't hear that often enough. Um, you, you just don't hear that often enough. You, um, people are, you know, you're more likely to hear the story about the one who succumbed, the one who, um, didn't make it. And, um, I, I, I would want to tell people that they do recover. It's, you know, it's not a one size fits all. It's not a straight line, but it's possible. And I would really want people to know that because I doubted that it was possible. And when I was all but begging people a few times to, you know, pouring my heart out and telling people how bad it was, um, a lot of people were just, you know, sadly shaking their head and saying, I'm sorry, but I wish somebody would have said, but you know what, they do recover.
1: Yeah, sharing a message of hope, right? that even in those darkest hours, there's some light.
2: Yes, for sure. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining. This has been a powerful, inspiring story. And I wish, you know, you and Natalie all the best moving forward. You know, it sounds like you two are two phenomenal women. And, you know, the world is better off having you both here.
2: Oh, thank you so much.
1: So can you tell people uh, where they might find you on the internet, how they might get a hold of the book?
2: Yes. Uh, the book is called About Natalie, A Daughter's Addiction, A Mother's Love, Finding Their Way Back to Each Other. It's available on Amazon and wherever books are sold. Um, I can be reached best at christineneyman.com. And um, I love for people to reach out. Um, I would love to reach back. And um, yeah, I guess that's all.
1: Great. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, if you're out there listening, you know do all the social stuff, like us, share, get this message out there. buy the book. you know um, if this if this touches you, you know really helps us as we're growing this podcast, give us five star reviews, you know you know all this stuff. Um, so thank you so much for joining us on this episode and we'll catch you on next week for the episode of From the Ashes.
0: Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Meet triumph and defeat and treat those two imposters the same.